Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. We are excited that you are here with us today. Uh, we're going to continue our journey through the book of Genesis. If, if you're new uh, and you've just joined the study on the, uh, you know, on Genesis and you're like, hey, where, where, I, I got to catch up. You guys are already out ahead of me. Uh, you can go back and find those archives either if you're watching live right now, you can find them on this YouTube channel. Uh, and if, uh, if you want just audio only, you can go to BurgessMinistries.com and you can find it there as well. Or you can go to Rick and Bubba, uh, the Rick and Bubba podcast channel. They're always there every week uh, uh, for you to enjoy on your own time. And, and realize, too, that some of you may want to go back and find old stuff. Same thing. Same places I just told you. You can go back and find old series or things like that. Let's, uh, let's Before we open in prayer and jump in, and we'll be in Genesis chapter 6 today, and we'll work our way a little bit into 7. But um, a couple things next weekend, February the 18th and 19th, uh, we've got uh, men's conferences and we've got man churches going on in many different places. So let let me just kind of run that down for you. First of all, if you want to come to the Pursuit Men's Conference, that'll be coming up next weekend. If you want to come to the Pursuit Men's Conference, we started that uh, three years ago. This is year three. You can can be there, but they're not going to have any tickets at the door. Uh, the way the Civic Center is set up and some of the new things everybody's doing, uh, go register there at uh, at uh, themanchurch.com or rickandbubba.com. Click on the link, register how many people are coming, and when you get there, you'll come in. We'll have your name. We'll give you armbands. That's how it's going to work. So there won't be any tickets at the door. Now, you can do it all the way up to the 17th. That's fine. But if you want to go ahead and get that done, you can. So that's Pursuit Men's Conference, Dothan, Alabama, Dothan Civic Center. I'll be speaking with Jonathan Evans, Andy Blanks from themanchurch.com, and uh, also Charles Billingsley. Charles Billingsley, our friend, will be leading worship. So that'll be going on in Dothan, Alabama. Now, if you would, uh, if you want to stay in North Alabama, Hoax Bluff, Alabama, uh, next weekend, uh, also another men's conference. And Helmsy from the Rick and Bubba Show and themanchurch.com will be there. Lance Ingram from the Rick and Bubba Show, he does the character Dr. Lou. He'll be there speaking. Uh, also, Sid Bream will be there speaking from Atlanta Braves fame. Uh, and also, also from the Atlanta Braves, and then went on to to even play at, at Auburn. Has an interesting story. Uh, interesting story. Tyler Stovall will be speaking. Now that's called the Men of Iron Conference. That'll be at Cross Creek Community Church in Hoax Bluff, Alabama. Also the 18th and 19th. Scottsboro, Alabama, uh, at uh, First Baptist Church, Scottsboro. Uh, next weekend, you can also go to two man churches. It'll be kind of like a man church conference. You'll have a Friday night. Man Church and Mark Garnett from uh, the Man Church team will be there. Uh, and then the next morning, you'll have Brian Gunn uh, also from the team, and that's First Baptist Church, Scottsboro, Alabama. All three of those are next weekend. Uh, so if you'd like to find out more about that, now, if you can't get to any of it, and uh, Opelika, Alabama is a better opportunity for you, well, then on the 17th, that's the Thursday night before we get into all these conferences, there's a Man Church going on at First Baptist Church, Opelika, Alabama, and Jonathan Evans. We'll be speaking there, and they'll be kicking off uh, their small groups getting into our third curriculum. And that's nothing I want to tell you about. <clears throat> the third curriculum is coming out probably within the next three weeks, Adler. I think something like that. It's going to be coming out. It's called Be Disciples. It'll be another 40-week curriculum to go to the two that we already have. We have three of those at themanchurch.com. It's 40 weeks uh, for your men to get into small groups. We have The Pursuit. Uh, that's a pursuit of Christ-centered masculinity. We have Real Men of the Bible. That's eight different men of the Bible, five weeks on each one. And now the new one coming out is called Be Disciples, and it's eight different characteristics that should be found if you claim to be a disciple of Jesus. And it's uh, 
man, it's a great curriculum too. And we'll add that uh, to the the one that we the two that we already have. And then there's all sorts of resources for you if you're trying to reach and disciple men, or you want to grow personally uh, as a man of God. You can find all that at themanchurch.com. So let's open in a word of prayer and let's dive in and find out what the Lord has to say today. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for these opportunities. Let's go ahead, men in the room and um, and and ladies and, and gentlemen all over the country and even around the world. Let's pray right now for all these things that are going to happen next week. I mean, these are opportunities for men to be coming from all sorts of places. A lot of unchurched men will be going into these conferences and these services. And and let's pray that that they hear from the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit breaks their heart and and they get their their relationship right with you, Lord. That, that they'll repent of their sins, they'll leave faith in themselves, and they'll place their faith in you. I pray, Lord, for there to be massive fruit from this. And, and, and we're, not, we're talking even be the redemptions will celebrate, but also that there's men who may already be, they may already be redeemed, but they're spiritual infants, and they're not, they're not much good to the kingdom yet because they haven't grown up spiritually, that they'll plug into these small groups, and they'll, they'll plug into this curriculum, and they'll continue to grow spiritually. Uh, just pray there'll be a revival in men uh, that will come out of all this going on next week and the things we've got coming up the rest of the year. Uh, and today, Lord, help us to, to hear from you clearly as we look at the person of Noah uh, and walk our way through your holy word. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So it, it's good to be here. Good to jump in. If you have your Bible, something with your Bible on it. Uh, let's go to Genesis chapter 6. Now, we were in 6 last week. We finished all of 5, uh, and we got through uh, verse 8. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 9. And we're going to uh, attempt to work our way all the way through <clears throat> the rest of, uh, of chapter 6. And then we're going to go into the first, uh, if we can get there, the first five verses of chapter 7. So uh, let, let, let's start with, with um, uh, chapter 6 and verse 9. And let, let's look at what the Scripture tells us. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Underline that. Blameless in his generation. And then underline this, Noah walked with God. Uh, now, you see right out of the gate that, that we're going to start these verses, and, what, and who, who's the focus going to be on? It's going to be on Noah. Uh, he is depicted as a man of godly integrity. Now, I want you to notice real quick here that he will be contrasted with the evil that is around him, and this is the part we got to get. He is in a time that is so wicked and so evil that we know that God, and we're going to find that out this week, is about to destroy every breathing thing on earth. It's all about to go. Okay? So he's wanting us to look at Noah, and this is what we got to apply to ourselves. If you're in this room or you're watching this or listening to this, man or woman, we need to ask ourselves when God looks at the evil of the world and the society we're in right now, does he look to us and see us the way he saw Noah? Because really what Scripture is saying right here is Noah's not like the rest of the world. He's nothing like them. And, um, and, and he's, he's, he's gone so far with this that he is being – the accolade that he's getting as God inspires Moses to write this down – He's saying Noah was a righteous man, blameless, what, in his generation. It doesn't mean that Noah's not doesn't have any sin and Noah's never done anything wrong. We're going to see some things 
when he gets off the ark that are going to be kind of confusing, honestly, and we're going to work through that a little bit. He's not a perfect man, but what God is saying is he's not like these other people. His relationship with me is different than everybody else has rejected me. He and his sons and their wives have not. Uh, and he's, so he's blameless in his generation. And the question we have to ask, would God see us the same way in this generation? I mean, would, would he look at us and say, no, not these guys, not, not these women, uh, for those of you that may be watching and listening somewhere else. So, so it, when you think about these words that are being said about, said about Noah, I start thinking about Enoch again. Well, who's, who's his great-grandfather? Enoch. Uh, so so here, here's Noah, the great-grandson of Enoch, and we see that, that Enoch has done his job apparently so well uh, and, and, of course, also Noah's dad, Lamech, they, they've done the job that, that Noah seems to be living the way that his great-grandfather did, that this seems to be going on. Now, we, we discussed this after the study last week, and, and I, I appreciate it being brought up. You know, the, the question we have to ask is, have we really done what we're supposed to do? But it is absolutely true, and, and this point was not made last week, and I'm going to make it this week. It is also true that sometimes we do everything we're supposed to do and our children or grandchildren just reject it. So I want to make that clear. When I was talking last week about have we done our job, I wasn't saying that you, if you do your job, they'll always turn out the way they should. What I was saying is if they've turned out the way they shouldn't, is it your responsibility? Did you not do your job? Now, look, I can speak to it in my own personal life. Sometimes you do things exactly the way you should do it, and you try to pass on your faith to your children, and they reject it. And we've got powerful men of God throughout church history who have children that did not, they didn't act anything like their daddy. Uh, and I don't think, a lot of these men, I don't think any of us would, would be brave enough to question whether they did their job or not. So, so there, there's still choices that are made. However, however, we do still need to ask ourselves, did we attempt to pass along the faith? Did we live with integrity in front of them? At what part of any of this could we examine and say we could have done a better job? I can. I mean, I can look when I see my children, those that, are, that, that you know, have, have been, and it's not over. It's not going to be over. My, my hope is they will all, when we stand before the Lord, be reconciled back and be in the proper standing. But the different levels of all their, their walk, I can say, that I don't think, I, personally, I was as far along spiritually with my older children than I was with my younger children, and that's just a fact. Uh, but and and wherever I didn't do my job, if 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 they don't get to where they should be, there's there's areas I look at and said maybe I could have done that different. But uh, but I can say that there was a an attempt to pass along this faith to my children, and I hope to have the opportunity to do it with my grandchildren if God blesses me with grandchildren. But um, but it's obvious here that Noah is the fruit of his great-grandfather, his grandfather, and his father. They must, they, he must have bought into the way they live because he's doing it too. Doesn't mean he's perfect, uh, but in his generation, God says, I find him blameless compared to the people he's around. He's not like the rest of the world. And, and, and I want you to understand, guys, and this is something that I'm continuing to learn as I continue to grow in, in my faith because I'm, I'm saying these things to me, hear me loud and clear, we're not supposed to look like the rest of the world. I mean, we're just not. Because the world, if the world is rejecting the God that we claim to serve, 
and we're not rejecting him, that just just that alone would make us not like him, not like the rest of the, of, of the world. And you're going to see that's really what's going on here. Now, the next verse is just kind of just straightforward. We're going to learn more about these sons later, but uh, it just it's getting established now with the generations of Noah. He says, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, uh, and Japheth. And, and we're going to hear more about them, uh, but right here they're just being introduced. So let's look at verses 11 and 12. And, and this, this, is, this is really, really good here because this is Moses inspired by God establishing what was going on. And I, there's some words here in our language I want you to underline uh, if, if, uh, if you have your Bible or you're taking notes. Verse 11, now the earth was corrupt, underline that, in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. I find that interesting. That that there's because you know there was more going on in this, but for some reason God wants us to know one of the things that I see in a society that has rejected me is I see violence out of control. And you'll you'll hear Jesus uh, talking about this. We're going to reference that in Matthew twenty four. Um, so the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. Look at verse twelve, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. See it again, showing up again. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. So what kind of picture is being painted here? Dark. The background here is very dark. Uh, we're seeing that people have turned their backs on God, and, and I, I, some of the commentaries, and I read those that I'm using last week, says one thing that you always see is that when people begin to hate God, do you know what one of the fruits of that is? They'll begin to hate each other. See, I don't know about you. There's some people, the only way I can love them is because I love God. There wouldn't be any other way to do it. So if I have decided to hate God, well, then hating people is, I mean, that's not even, that's an easy step. And, uh, and so it, it's saying he's showing that not only do they hate him, this has led to them hating each other, and violence is everywhere. Does this sound familiar to anybody? So the word corrupt, I told you to, to land on that, to underline that both times. The earth is corrupt. The people are corrupt. And, and what this means when he says corrupt, what is it when something's been corrupted? I mean, I remember I would have never known, known how to use this example when I was growing up, but I can now. Has, have you ever had a file come into your computer and they say, hey, that's a corrupt file? What's that file going to do? It's going to mess your whole computer up. I mean, you're going to have big problems if you own that corrupted file. Well, what what God is saying here, this world has become so bad. I'm using the English word corrupt and, of course, the Hebrew word here. What this really means is they've rejected God's standard for their own. Now, remember, go back to the original sin. Go back to the original fall. What do we talk about? This, this this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what God had said is, I've got everything you could ever need. I've got everything that you could ever want. But I'm going to deny you this tree. Why? Because he's looking for the proper faith and the trust in God that God will decide what's right and wrong. His standard will be perfect, and we will never question it. And then what did Adam and Eve decide? Because what did Satan sell them on? Why don't you decide that for yourself? <clears throat> Why does he say he's got to decide it? Well, if he's deciding, he may not even have your best interest at stake. So it's going to be his standard. Why do you want his standard? 
And so what's happening here is this has continued to get worse and worse and worse. It always does, doesn't it? Hmm? I, I, can, I can look at my own life, and I look back at my terrible testimony, but, but wonderful God, and I remember taking that first step to say, on this one little thing, I'm not going God's standard. It's just one little thing. Most of my life is under the authority of God, <clears throat> but there's a few things here that God would, would tell me not to do that I just kind of want to do. And I'm doing that because I would rather do that than to be right with him. I, I think I'm being denied something here. And it was just a tiny, tiny step, something that people would say, that you know, big deal. You know, kind of some of this garbage. Look, your kids are going to drink. That's, that's a foregone conclusion. They, they're going to get drunk. Your kids are not going to be sexually pure when they got married. You're, you're, you've got to be kidding me. You think your kids are going to stay sexually pure? You better go ahead and hand out the condoms, and you better go ahead and let, the, let them come over to your house to drink. This kind of stuff. And then before you know it, you can't believe the things that have happened. Because you thought, well, I just he's 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 been unreasonable. Sobriety, sexual purity, that's unreasonable. But then you kind of you kind of look. We we interviewed Phil Robertson this week on the show, and he said the time that GQ magazine got all upset with him is because they asked him about homosexuality, and he said, but the verse that I read him was from First Corinthians six. I read them the whole list of sins that would not inherit the kingdom of God. And homosexuality just happened to be on the list too. But it wasn't the only thing on the list. But, of course, they pull that one thing out and say, well, this is unreasonable. This is God being unreasonable. People ought to be able to do whatever they want to do. And, and he said, but they, they ignored that the list had drunk, drunks on it. He says that's unreasonable. Matter of fact, you look in the, the, the writer of Hebrews says that, uh, that drunkenness is, is, is leads to all forms of debauchery, and God hates it. It's, it's interesting, isn't it, though? We, hey, we've we got a lot to say about uh, people who decide to, to choose their own version of marriage and intimacy, but we're real quiet when it comes to drunkenness. That one we kind of hold over here a little bit. We, we're not near as vocal about that one, even though it is also on the list of people who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the fornicator is on the list. We didn't have a lot to say about that. Look, if my kids run around, as long as they're having sex with, with, with people of the opposite sex, yeah, but see, that's that, that's on the list of people who won't inherit the kingdom of heaven either. If they don't ever repent of it, you know, if this is just the way they continue to live. Adultery? Well, Rick, I mean, because one woman the rest of your life, one man? Come on now. God's being unreasonable. You know, lying? He hates lying? That's the language of the devil? Wow, he's over the top with his lying. Sometimes you have, you know, you lie. That's not a big deal. But you look on the list. What about when people need something, Rick? You don't understand? And they steal from somebody. God calls he's, he calls that sin? He does. And it's on the list. So what, what, <clears throat> what we're hearing is that the list was being now violated much more than we just want to eat off the tree. Now everything's out of control. And I'm going to tell you something. For those of you watching this, you can see me. For those of you listening to me, listen, unfortunately from experience, you take one step out of God's will for things, you'll be surprised how many things you'll compromise. At one time, I was just going to compromise this one thing. But everything else, I was going to, before you know it, you compromise one, you compromise another, you compromise another one. What was that song from Casting Crowns? It's a slow fade, baby. But it's a fade. 
I remember looking at my life 13 years after I made that first move, and I couldn't even believe who I was. I, I, I could not believe it. And I was like, how did this happen? How in the world did this happen? You, 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 don't, you can't even recognize who you are. You can't believe the things you're doing. And this is what was happening in the society, and God has had enough. And do you all know, can I, can I let everybody heads up? Even when he corrects it this time, we go do it again. And he finally gets the full plan of redemption done and says, I'm done with the sacrificial system. It is done. The age of grace and the church age is on. But guess what? I'm going to have enough of this too. This is going to happen again. And we, we are Noah right now. I hope. So anyway, corrupt. That's that. That's a big word. So let's look at verse thirteen. Okay, the results now for the people uh, on the earth are dire. Everything God called good has now been called corrupted by the ruin of mankind. You know what God's calling it now? He's not calling it good anymore. What is He calling it? Corrupt. So, <clears throat> verse thirteen through twenty-two. Let's look at thirteen. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. Okay, the, 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 you see that the end of, of all flesh uh, has come before me is kind of what this word is really saying. And then, for the earth is filled with violence. Isn't that interesting? There it is again. Through them, behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Okay. So God announced to Noah his intention to put an end to all flesh. Uh, the best way to understand this Hebrew word here is by, he's saying God had decided to bring all flesh, mankind, to an end, but the animals are linked to mankind, and they are going to be included. And again, it's almost like since we had been given dominion over the animals, we've corrupted them as well. And, and so God is saying, i got, I got to reset this whole thing. Y'all have even corrupted the animals. Now they're slaughtering each other. We've got now, now, now that's completely out of control. And all this seems to be tied back again to the violence. And it seems to be tied back to the violence. And so it's almost like when we go back to what we studied at the first part of the chapter, it's like, have you ever had the term, you ever had said this before, it happened in your life, or maybe you had a relationship in some way shape or form with somebody and it was kind of in trouble and then all of a sudden somebody comes in and says well let me tell you what they did today and what do you say that's the final straw apparently the final straw was this thing with the nephilim the final straw for god was these these angels as as jude said that left their dominion and they they went after the human women it's like the, all this had built up and then, and then that was the final straw. And so God is, is talking about what's going to happen now. And, um, it's, and when, you, when you look at some of the things that um, this unholy union in verses 1 and 2, it just seemed to send God saying, I, now, now I'm going to do it. Here comes the plan. Now, verses 14 through 16, man, we can go – Man, in all kinds of ways here, if you want to. Man, there's commentary about, and rightfully so. 
I mean, this is the great I am. This is the beginning and the end, and he decides that he's going to be an architect, and he's going to lay out this floating giant thing that he wants, and he's a god of order, so the way he wants it built is extremely important. Uh, now, you're going to see it's got functionality. He, he's also saying by what we got to do, it's got to be built this way in order to be able to do it. But um, but there's a lot going on in this inst- uh, instruction from God. So here comes, um, here comes God talking to Noah, and he says, First of all, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Boy, gopher wood, did you know this phrase only appears in the Old Testament? We don't find this this gopher wood thing anywhere else. No one knows what it is. Now, now people say based on the way that it worked and all that, they believe that it's probably a word that we didn't understand that probably is a cedar or from the pine cedar family. Uh, but you don't find the word gopher wood ever used again other than right here. Uh, it's not found in the New Testament. Uh, it never shows up again. Uh, this word, uh, so it's a type of wood that he wanted that was very specific, and of that time, that's what they called it, whatever this word is that we call for gopher wood. It could be that our English interpretation, we, we didn't know how to interpret the Hebrew word correctly, but they believe that it's likely from the cedar and pine family based on what it's going to do and how we have built things since with pine and cedar. But nobody really knows. It, 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 uh, it is not a phrase that, um, that gets used uh, ever again. Uh, after the Old Testament, uh, but again, we can. Is everybody okay with cedar and pine? Everybody good with that? So um, the ark also, as you see, is is supposed to have rooms, and we'll talk about that. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Now here comes pitch. Uh, pitch is another word uh, that we're trying to kind of reach a little bit here on, on the English to, to come up with this. Um, but uh, the Hebrew word here for the rooms, let's talk about that first. If you really translated it more directly, and I'm surprised the English standard, which is what I usually teach out of, I'm surprised it didn't do it because it tries to be really literal. Sometimes it takes away some of the poetic beauty, but it's trying to be real literal, which is the way I learn, so I like that. But really, the word here that we're using for rooms, probably a better interpretation is nest. Uh, like it's supposed to be because it's it, he, he's saying he wants these rooms set up where they'll be able to keep animals. So it's really more of a of, of they're going to be specifically set up for animals. And the pitch, what we would call caulk, is being used here. Now there's 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 a lot of symbolism going on with the pitch here. Of of, of there's 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 a tie to holiness and for protection um, and purity. Uh, to caulk, and and so that the the wood beams, you know, would not be affected by everything they're going to have to endure. Uh, so uh, uh, remember, with everything that's going on here, and you can see this as the whole Bible. This is all pointing to Jesus. It's all pointing to Jesus, because what what if you want me just to give you the C student Calhoun County deal, without because some of this we can really get in the, in in the weeds, but. The bottom line is God is building protection from his wrath. Everybody with me? And those who get in the ark will not receive the wrath of God, and those who don't will. Who's that sound like? 
So as I said that we're like Noah, I, I'm not saying that I'm as godly as Noah. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm going to tell you what I am saying. Like Noah, what we're saying is destruction is coming for the final time. Okay? And just like Noah, there's an ark, and it is Jesus. And in that ark is redemption, which is what all this symbolizes. In this ark is redemption and reconciliation back to God. And what does Paul tell the church at Thessalonica for those that are redeemed? They will not receive the wrath of God. Does that sound familiar? That's what this is. And so as this is continued, what we need to do is what? Tell the world what? Get on the ark. And Noah's going to do that for 120 years. Do you know how many people get on? Zero. Somewhere Jeremiah says, cry me a river. I had about the same experience. You know? Jeremiah, <laughs> he just, he's just pleading with everybody. God's angry. The Babylonians are coming. How many times has God done this where he tries to say, I'm offering you an out? And then Jesus finally gets here and we get the ultimate out. Praise God for that, right? So, so anyway, why aren't we more excited about that? I mean, if you knew, if you were building an ark right now, and, and God said, you got, and we'll get to this in a minute, you got seven days to get ready, okay? And then for 120, you know, that's when it's finished, but 120 years, this is going to be built. And for 120 years, you keep telling your cousins, you think this is the only family Noah's got? Is his three sons and their wives? You think that's it? That's not his whole family. And you're going to people that you've known, you're going to people you love, and they think you're crazy. And you know what the version of that is now? Universalism. God's not going to destroy me just because I didn't believe what you believe. You ever heard this? I can't serve a God like that. What a God that said. What, what was it? What, was it? Was it Mac who said it? It's, it's exclusive, but anybody can come. It's a feast that's exclusive, but anybody can come. And, uh, you know, the, the ark's exclusive, but there's going to be a door on it. It's big enough for more people to get in there. And, and, and that, that's what we've been called to do. Uh, so, so it goes on. It says, all right, the dimensions of the ark are given in cubics. That was a blast for me. But um, think about the length of a forearm. That's kind of what the, a cubic is, okay, uh, or about 18 inches. Or for the, those of you that, unlike me, when I was in public school, we rejected the metric system, even though they tried to make us do it. But if you if you want to be un-American and be metric, uh, 45 centimeters per cubic. All right, let, now let's get that down to something I can understand. This thing was about 450 feet by 75 by 45. It's big. It's really big. Uh, the Titanic was eight, 850 by 92 by 64, so it's not as big as the Titanic. But it's big. Um, and so he's told that he needs to make a roof. Or really, if you translate this perfectly, I love this because we all think this in our automobiles now. You know what he was told to make? A skylight. You know, he, 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 he's going he's gonna to have a, a skylight so, he's got, so they can let some light come in. He didn't have electricity. So he's told how to do that. It does seem that the roof had some sort of overhang to allow light to come in. And I love this. This is big. How many doors was he told to make? Just one. There's one way in. There's not a bunch of ways to get in the ark. There's one way in. There's one door. What does that sound like? Jesus. Once again, anybody can come. 
but there's just only one way to get there. And um, there's three decks that are also within, so we see that. So you kind of see how this is all set up. Now, I'm going to get over here to Jesus in Matthew 24 here momentarily, but how many of you have, is anybody in here or the, some of you watching or listening, anybody been to see the, the ark that has been built by these designs? Hey, it's a big one. Uh, everything that goes in there would not be any big deal. And that's the thing that the answers in Genesis people wanted to do. We want you to see it, you know, and, and that you can see that this is not some fairy tale. It's not some children's story. What God put together will absolutely serve the purpose and do what it needed to do, almost like it was, you know, perfect. So then we get to 17, verse 17, and we see that God is about to say for the first time he's going to talk about the flood. Verse 17. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. First mention of the flood. He's going to destroy everything on earth under heaven which has the breath of life. It appears, though, in this because there's no taking fish onto the ark, that, that the fish are not going to be destroyed. They're going, they're going to make it through the water. And what he's talking about is he says, on the earth, under heaven, uh, and that has the breath of life. So that's going to be mankind, and it's going to be all the animals except uh, for the aquatic fish because there's no instruction for Noah to go get any of them. Uh, verse 18, we do find out something new about Noah's relationship with God. And this is really cool. So look at 18. But I will, I love, you know, anytime you see the word but in Scripture, but God, hey, it's real bad. Everything's going to be destroyed. I'm going to wipe everything out, but, thank you, mercy again. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Boy, these women, this was a good, you talk about a good time to be picked by one of Noah's sons. This is a big one. Uh, so, because in those days, the men did pick the wives. They didn't have a whole lot of say in it, but, um, unless the dad didn't want you to be married to them. So anyway, here is the first time in Scripture that we see God start teaching us about covenants. That This, this is a covenant that he has with Noah. So um, it's the first covenant and with Noah and his family. They will be preserved. This is the seed that will continue God's covenant relationship with Israel, which is big. Uh, it is with Noah, but this is the cool part about how we talk about with themanchurch.com. Go get the man. Because this covenant is made with the husband and with the dad, but guess who that covenant includes? His wife, his sons, and their wives. They're, they, through, through Noah, they're in on the covenant. So, so, so that, that's a really big deal, and this is the first covenant that we see God establish uh, in Scripture, and you'll see this go on. Um, then you get into uh, to verses 19. Uh, and this is just kind of God saying, here's how we're going to get the animals, and here's what I want, onto the boat. But, but here's what's kind of cool. Let's, let's read it. And of every living thing uh, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort uh, into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be, shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, 
Now, remember this. This is something that you, if you see what um, Ken Ham and Answers in Genesis has tried to also remind us when these people start saying, there's no way that you could have got all these animals on this ark. I don't care how big it is. They didn't bring every single bird there ever was. What they're supposed to go get is a male and female of their kind. Okay, this means like if they were going to put dogs on there, they just have two canines. They don't run out and get every Pekingese and, uh, of course, they probably didn't have those things then, but that, I'm just using that as an example. They, they don't go out and get every kind of version of that. They go get a canine that is male and a canine that is female, and the canines will establish all these other versions on their own. Uh, so you're not talking about really needing all that much room when you get down to I got a male and a female of every kind. I don't need every version of every kind. I just need a male and female of every kind. Uh, of the birds according to their kinds and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come uh, into you, and you and to keep them alive. The 21, also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. And so this is the, this is the takeaway from all this. You're like, why, why am I being told all this? Why didn't we just? Why aren't we just told Noah get, did, put animals on there like God told him to? Because what 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 once again we have to see because this is the counter when you're talking about our adversary. This is showing you that we serve a God of order. He is laying out an orderly fashion. This isn't chaotic. This isn't chaotic in in, in which he wants the animals loaded. This is how I want them loaded. And, and, and this is the thing that, that I love this, too. Sin may have brought chaos, but God is a God of order. Uh, and then I look in verse 20 when he says this, and I like this, of the birds according to their kind and of the animals according to their kind, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come to you to keep them alive. You know what he's saying? You don't have to go round them up. I'll bring them to you. I just want you to load them the way I said to load them. He didn't say, now, you, you better hurry. you got to get out there and find them. Noah didn't have to go out trapping and you know bring cages and set up nets and all this stuff. This is a supernatural event, and God says, look, I'll take the animals to you, but this is how I want them loaded. They'll come right to you. Don't you love that God carries the, the, carries the heavy work? I mean, I, that, that's it. Because I, I, I would have been interrupting God. Whoa, 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 where am I going to get all these animals? You know, and, and God's just like, just, hey, hush and let me finish. I'm going to bring them to you. Okay, well, that's good. I just want you to load them the way. And, hey, now you do need to get enough food in there for all of them. So uh, on how you're going to feed yourself and how you're going to feed them. Uh, so God has a plan, and, and, uh, and, and you know, he says to bring food for, for, for you and them. And then what's, what's the key verse in all this? And you probably are ahead of me. What's the key verse in all this? This, this is why we're going to find out that God established a covenant with Noah. This is why he's going to be called blameless in his generation. This is why... He's going to have have godly integrity. Verse 22, it's real simple. We should all write it down. We should should hold on to it and ask ourselves, is this what God would say about us? Look at 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him to do. Period. He didn't question it. He, he he, He might have got clarification. You know, remember, remember the difference that we talked about, uh, with, with Mary, the mother of Jesus, versus Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. I mean, he tells him, John the ba- John's coming, and, and Zechariah starts saying, well, that can't happen. My, my, my wife is too old. She's barren. 
Hey, you must be mistaken. And, of course, God takes his voice away and says, okay. But he didn't do that with Mary because all Mary said was she wanted clarification. How's God going to do it? She didn't say, well, he can't do that. I'm a virgin. She said, how's it going to happen since I'm a virgin? That's different. Noah may have said, now tell me how we're going to get all these animals on here, but whatever you tell me to do, that's what I'm going to do. See, it's, a, it's, it's all right to ask God how he's going to do it or show me how to do it, but what we don't do is not do it. And, and so Noah, did. he didn't do it his way. He didn't say, "God, this is what God said, but that sounds unreasonable to me. I got another way to do it. He didn't say, well, I don't know about birds. My goodness, birds. I don't want fool birds. He didn't do that. I got to go find food for all this? Well, how am I going to do that? He did it. Why only one door? I'm, I'm, I'm going to put a door in the back. I don't know why we got one. That sounds more like us, doesn't it? Well, I, I mean, I, I don't know. God doesn't know what he's doing. How many times, I can tell you too many, embarrassingly, uh, the number of times, how many times has God clearly said, how he wanted something done, and you said, eh, I think I got a better way to do it. I want you to remain sexually pure until you get married. Eh. I mean, I, I'm going to get married eventually, and then maybe that way I'll be okay with you, but I don't know about I don't know about that. I mean, you talking about like nothing? I mean, like, that just sounds unreasonable to me. And you know what we're saying is being in proper alignment with you sounds like a downer. Sin is what sounds like fun. That's a blasphemous thing to say, isn't it? If you, it but we don't look at it that way. Do we look at it as something? Man, ain't no big deal. Ain't no big deal. As long as I get some kind of thing that'll float and we get most of the animals on there, surely that's enough. But that's not what... I mean, I would have been thinking like, I don't know about the lizard. I ain't put. I tell you, I ain't putting no lizard on there. We're not, I, I don't like lizards. No, what he said is what? This is what you told me to do, and the Scripture tells us what? Noah did it exactly the way God said to do it. He did all that God commanded. And most of us, if we were honest, Rick Burgess, embarrassingly, I, may, I don't know if I want to do all God commanded, but I'll do some of what God commanded. I don't know about all. But that's not what it says about Noah. It says I, he did all that God commanded. And what we do a lot of times, even those of us that claim to be redeemed, I'll do some of what he commanded. But I won't do all. Because that might actually cost me something. That might be difficult. But that's not what Noah did, and that's why Noah was picked out of the generation and called blameless. Now let's look at chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Hmm. So he is inviting Noah into the boat. You realize that his obedience is going to give us a do-over. I mean, this could have been the end of it. Adam did not obey the one thing that God told him, and Noah obeyed all the things that God told him. A new world is going to come from this flood. If you have your Bible, let, let's let's go over to First Peter. Let's go to First Peter, and let's look at chapter thirty. 
I mean, chapter 30, verse 30. Uh, so we're going to be in chapter 3. I'm sorry, verse 20, not 30. And here's what Peter said about these events. I'm going to start um, in 19. Wait a minute. No, this is the wrong one. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm, in, I'm in the wrong one. This is what we did last week. I'm sorry. Turn over to Matthew 24. I'm in, I'm in the wrong verse. Matthew 24. And then I want you to see what, what happens here. Then I'll come back to that in, in verse 20. So this is Jesus talking about the end times, okay? Now, this, he's gonna, he, they're asking Jesus, when is this going to happen? And we want to know more about this. And I want you to look in, uh, in verse um, 39. And I'm, I'm going to read a little bit above that, but we'll get down to, to 39. It, he, he says in 36, But concerning the day and the hour, uh, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. Look at 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Look at 38. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given into marriage until the day, and we're here now, when Noah entered the ark. 39. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. This is big. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. I can tell you the number of times that I have looked at this, and it wasn't until I was studying this here that it hit me what Jesus is really talking about there. Again, back to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patient waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through the water. You know what these two verses are telling us, and this is what God is saying at the end of chapter 6 and now into the invitation of Noah and 7? This is, this is good, and we see it now. Jesus is saying, my Father has made it clear that his wrath is coming on the unredeemed. And just like in the days of Noah, when the warning was given by Noah, and my father gave them 120 years to get on the ark, their response to this warning was to continue on with their lives like it was no big deal. They just continued to want to live their lives the way they always had, and they just kept going through the days like it wasn't no big deal. And the flood caught them unaware, not ready. It wasn't they weren't being told, just as I'm telling you all now, this will be just like the day. And you know what he said? As in the days of Noah, people would just be going on with their lives knowing, but I would say, if they die, or I return, they're going to face me unredeemed. But they just don't seem to care. They, they keep saying, well, I just want to go on with what I got planned for the week. I want to go on with what I got planned with my life. I'm not going to make any adjustments to my life. I, I, I don't hear your warning. I don't care about it. I'd rather just live my life. See, this is that thing of us trying to create heaven on earth. We think this is better than what's coming. And this is the thing 
that really, really angered God. They, they just continued their lives, and they were so concerned with their own lives, they ignored the warning of the coming judgment. Noah building this ark made, ark made him an oddity in the corrupt society. And what they wanted was tangible and visible. Have you ever seen the nutcase building this giant thing he's building? Yeah, maybe, maybe that's something we need to look into. Nah, we got to get to the ball game. You know, I mean, if we're going to get a good tailgate spot, we got to go. Hey, somebody told me, you know, you know, you ever thought about that Jesus is, is actually going to come back or we're going to die? Yeah, but I mean, but we, you know, we, we got that vacation plan. I mean, I'd rather talk about that. You know, we're planning that wedding. Jesus literally, literally uses that as one of the examples. They just kept marrying, going on with their life like nothing was going on, like the end wasn't coming. You know, we got that big wedding coming up. Are these people right with God? Well, I mean, they're going to be some counseling or something with it, I'm sure. You know, we just, you know, we, hey, we're going, we, we're going to build that so-and-so. What did Jesus say? You better say, Lord willing, we'll build it. I've learned to say that a lot. I'm getting to the point where I say, Lord willing, we'll do another show tomorrow. I may or may not see you tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to see you tomorrow or not. Hey, Lord willing, we'll be here again next Wednesday. Who knows? We may not all, we, we may have it next Wednesday, but you may not be here. Mm-hmm. Even if some of us get here, that don't mean you go get here. You know, and, 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 and this is telling us that the people didn't care about this. And you know what Jesus said? Oh, when I come back, it's going to be the same thing just like in the days of Noah. And I got to tell you something about this comment from Jesus, just like the days of Noah. Y'all do realize that on the Kentucky-Cincinnati line, we've literally rebuilt the ark. Literally. The ark is back. And Jesus said, just like the days of Noah. Maybe it's no big deal. So then he goes on and he says to Noah, verse 2, Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of birds of the heaven, also male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. I think y'all know what's going on with the clean animals. This is, this is not really complicated. Look, this is God setting up his sacrificial system that's continuing. He, you know what he's saying? Be sure you take animals on the ark for sacrificing to me and keep some with you when you get off because that's going to continue. Until Jesus returns, we've got to continue that. You know, until Jesus comes in and redeems the world, the sacrificial uh, system has to continue to go. So be sure you get on the ark the things you're going to need to make those sacrifices to me. And we never know what does that right when he gets off the ark. He also does something else that we'll really have to unpack. So God gives the timeline for the plan of destruction, and he tells him once the ark is built, you know, when it was finished, what did he say? He got seven days. There's that number seven again. What is the number seven? Completion. Perfect. Hey, Noah, you've built this for 120 years. Nobody came. 
but you get your family ready. You got seven days, and then the rain's coming. And then look at verse five. Here he is again. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. He didn't say, hey, I noticed up here, you, now you got me doing seven pairs of birds. I thought we was just doing two. But where's, what's the seven thing? He didn't question any of it. And I, and I think that's what, where we have to close, because there it is again, and I hope that's underlined. We see that uh, twice after instruction had been given to Noah, we see the phrase about Noah that God wanted us to know, and Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. What did Jesus say in John 14, 15? If you love me, you obey my commands. Did he say, if you love me, you obey some of my commands? We hear Jesus saying things and obey all that I have commanded you. We find that in what? The Great Commission. We're supposed to go and make disciples, and what's the next thing he told us to do? And teach them some of what I commanded you? All that I have commanded you. And just like I said with Enoch, and I'm speaking about myself, so hopefully a lot of you aren't like me, and this is the thing that God is changing in me. And it causes problems in your life. I will tell you this. It will. I repent of thinking that the Enoch's of the world and the Noah's of the world, that their standard is too high. Why do we think it's too high? I mean, God's who does it. I mean, we don't do it. So God can't make us into people that do all that he commands us? He just says you can't do it. So I would say if God has not turned us into the standard that he requires, and I'm not talking about that we never make a mistake, you're going to say that Noah makes mistakes. But what I'm saying is maybe it means that we have not completely relinquished ourselves completely to him. He can have some of it. He can have all of me. He can have some of me. And I hope he has enough of me that I don't go to hell, but he can't have all of me. That, that's not what we see in the example of Noah. It's not what we see. And the other takeaway for some of you that are watching and listening or maybe somebody sent this to you or whatever is Matthew 24. Jesus said pretty clearly, just like in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. We have the ark. We have redemption. And people are going to die. And people are going to go to hell. And maybe we need to maybe change the way we're living and maybe drop all the I'm just going through my life as if this isn't going to happen. Jesus warned against that. Because this second time, those that are unredeemed will not be part of the new heaven and the new earth. 
And as Scripture has clearly said, only those who persevere, meaning only those who never reject me, will inherit the kingdom of heaven. We have the warning. He's such a gracious and merciful God. We have the warning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the holy word of God that you have allowed us to see. And you have not withheld yourself from us. And Lord, may we heed your warning. And may we reject any of those out there. And Lord, we know they're out there. We know apostasy has been around since the beginning of the church. That there, there are those that preach a false version of you. And one of the things that they do is they try to tell people that you are no longer a God of judgment. And that's heresy. That is part of who you are. And in order for us not to face that unredeemed, all we have to do is repent and leave faith in ourselves, and place our faith in you, and then you will provide grace and mercy, which is also part of you. But grace and mercy is cheapened if I don't also acknowledge that you're a God of judgment and your own record that you are because you can't help but be holy. That's just who you are. But thank you for being so merciful and gracious and allowing us to be made holy and fully righteous by your son, Jesus. Maybe today's the day you need to say, I want to be made fully righteous by Jesus. Well, then just repent of your sin. Turn a 180 from your sin and leave faith in yourself and, and submit to the lordship of Jesus and say, I place all my faith in you, and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. Will you make me fully righteous? I don't love you, but will you teach me to love you and teach me your commands? If you're sincere, he will. If we can help you in any way, let us know so we can walk with you and answer the call to make disciples, not just converts, but disciples, and that we need to help to teach you all that he has commanded us. In your holy name we pray, amen. If you made a decision like that today for the first time or the first time you've meant it uh, and you need some help, uh, we're certainly here to help you. Uh, just email me, rick at burgessministries.com or rick at rickandbubba.com, and I'd love to help you. Thank you for being with us today, and Lord willing, we'll talk to you again next week.